Welcome to Dead Pilot Society, the podcast that takes comedy pilots from A-list writers that were sold and developed at networks but never produced and gives them the table reads they never got a chance to have. I'm Andrew Reich, the creator and co-host of Dead Pilot Society. If you live in Los Angeles, before you listen any further, go to Largo-LA.com and buy your tickets for our next live show. It's on Sunday, November 12th. We have Patton Oswalt starring in a dead pilot by Rob Schraub, the co-creator of the Sarah Silverman program. The pilot's called Jet Pacula. It's a supernatural buddy comedy about a washed-up comic book illustrator befriending a robot vampire from the future. Uh, Yeah, it's another one of those. Um, And then we have Dave Keckner starring in a dead pilot from Adam McKay and Chris Henschey called Red State, Blue State. If you're a Talladega Nights fan, you don't want to miss this. We've got some other really cool actors who are going to be at this who I can't quite announce yet, but coming soon. Just hit pause, go to Largo-LA.com, buy the tickets, then come back. All right, you back? Okay, so it's October. Network pitching season is still going on, starting to wind down. I am not writing a pilot this year because it looks like I have a show running gig coming up, but I am supervising a pilot that was sold to Fox. For those of you who don't know what supervising means in this context, uh, it's this. It's when writers who haven't ever been in charge of running a show pitch a pilot. The studios often pair them up with a showrunner to guide them through the writing process, to show run the pilot should it get shot, and then theoretically to run the series if it gets that far. It's a kind of mentoring position during the writing phase. Uh, You help to shape the pitch and the pilot story, you know, figuring out the best way to address the studio and network notes and hopefully helping the writers avoid any number of pitfalls in the development process. So the writers and I have been working on uh, the outline for for the pilot story for a while. We had a couple false starts until we now landed on something we like. And it's just struck me that no matter how many times I've done this, which is a lot, it's still so easy to make the same mistakes. And mistake number one is not asking yourself every time, what do the characters want? And are they being active in pursuing their drive? It's so basic. It's so easy to forget to do. And if you don't start there and instead you start with just some scene or some concept that you think is really funny, you end up lost. So I'm thinking about that. Um, and the other thing I'm thinking about is I just started watching the HBO Spielberg documentary last night and there's such a great moment where he says that he's terrified every time he steps on the set to direct a scene. Steven Spielberg every time. And I just loved hearing that. I'll never get enough of hearing incredibly successful people admit to having the same neuroses as me. You know, I'm terrified every time I sit down to try and write something new. Uh, but I think maybe you need that fear to actually do good work. So anyway, those are some thoughts. Uh, our dead pilot this time is Tuned by Deborah Kaplan and Harry Elfont. Uh, this was by far the most challenging pilot that we've taken on. It's a musical, and although Frontman, which I posted a couple episodes back, also had a musical element, it didn't weave the music in in the same way. It didn't require the same level of timing, the music and the dialogue. I was shocked that we pulled this off with really only the most minimal amount of rehearsal. It's a testament to the talent of the band uh, and our great actors who did this. Uh, this one may take it takes a little bit of time to really get going, but stick with it. I think you'll enjoy it. Um, so here's Dead Pilot Society live from Largo. Uh, my co-host Ben Blacker interviewing Deb Kaplan and Harry Elfont, and then tuned after a brief message. I <laughs> <laughs> oh, love it. Oh, good oh, stuff man, every time. Uh, well, I hope that you're enjoying this podcast you're listening to as much as we are pretending to. But anyway, why not listen to another podcast, too? It's called The Flop House. And on our podcast, uh, we have recently watched a movie, often a bad movie, and we review it on our podcast, but mainly talk about other stuff and, I don't know, hang out. It's all about hang out, feeling like you're being with your best friends. Who are your best friends? Us three. Dan McCoy, (laughs) Emmy Award-winning writer for The Daily Show, Stuart Wellington, owner of the best bar in Brooklyn, Hinterlands, and Elliot Kalin. 
former Emmy-winning head writer for The Daily Show with Jon Stewart, former head writer of Mystery Science Theater 3000, The Return, uh, so many things. Author of the upcoming children's book, All right, that's enough. The Elliot's credits just go on and on. Yeah, but if you like the idea of listening to three funny guys talk about bad movies, then why not come over and listen to The Flop House? It's uh, available at MaximumFun.org or wherever fine podcasts are found. So get out of here. Please welcome Harry Elfond and Deborah Kaplan. Anywhere you're comfortable, he ran as far from me as he could get. <laughs> Harry, Deborah, hello. Hello, hi. Everybody. Thank you for being here. Thank you for letting us um, perform your script, which is called Tuned, uh, which we'll do in a moment. Uh, you know Harry and Deborah as the writers of the film Can't Hardly Wait. We <laughs> fans. Um, they had a terrific show on uh, MTV that ran for a season until MTV decided not to make scripted shows anymore and just show Fear Factor. Um, But it was called Mary and Jane, and that was a great show. And you guys should check it out if you've not seen it. You know I love it. Um, Thank you guys for being here. So Tuned is the script. It is a half-hour musical comedy. Um, Where did this come from? Was, Was this something that you invented? Was it brought to you? It was something we came up with. It came from, uh, there was an Oliver, can you go really high brown now? There's an <laughs> Oliver Sacks book about, it was called Musicophilia, about different, there were things that would happen to people's brains and it would affect their perceptions of music. And one of these disorders is, uh, it's rare, but people will occasionally develop a tumor or a growth and they will hallucinate music. It's not like they're, you know, kind of hearing music in their head. They're hearing it through, they think, their ears, they but there's nothing there. Liken it to having an iPod in your head that you cannot turn off. Mm-hmm. And you guys thought, this tragedy is hilarious. Hysterical. <laughs> um, and so we took it a step further and thought, well, what if somebody hallucinated actual musical numbers along with the music? And that was pretty much the idea for the show. And did you guys take it out? Did you pitch it? What was the process from that? No, we developed it with um, Eva Longoria. Mm-hmm. And Heard of her. And... <laughs> She's all right. And uh, her producing partner, Ben Spector. And um, we sort of came up with the idea with just them in the room. I yeah, we, they had a deal at NBC, so we, we took it right into NBC and they bought... We also had attached uh, Zachary Levi to play the lead. It went right to ABC? And NBC. Oh, okay. Yeah, we, uh, so were, actually, we did... Uh, uh, NBC bought it and we did... Actually, we were doing two musicals that year for them. Oh, really? One was a one-hour musical drama with Lady Antebellum, which also... You never made it. Next time. Um, <laughs> Next time. Um, okay. What was the pitch like on Tuned? Was there singing in the pitch? No, we mentioned songs. I mean, it's a musical. Okay. There weren't original songs. Right. They were all familiar songs because that's actually, they said what happens when you have this thing is occasionally you'll hear songs that were actually existing. It's usually not original music. But um, so we mentioned the songs. We kind of pitched the opening scene. It was kind of the beginning of the pitch. And then we just talked, you know, it's a pitch. Okay. Uh, and what was the, so when you finally got into the script, what were the fun parts for you? Were there fun parts? <laughs> I know, uh, you know on the other side. It was a side. difficult year, because that, that Lady A one was such a it, it was a, it was a strange thing to be writing two musicals at once, and one was a drama with original music that Lady A was doing, and the other was this kind of bizarre jukebox musical. Um, it was fun trying to figure out the songs and where they were going to fit, mm-hmm. and it was, a, it was almost... When we do things like this, I often have to have it explained to me multiple times um, <laughs> what it would be like, you know, if there's any sort of math involved, sure. where, you know, who's actually, how much is he going to be singing, who is singing in his hallucinations, yeah. and who recognizes that he's singing. That was a tough thing to work out. And it was it was tough even to figure out for tonight, I'll say, like, where to bring the band in, yeah. and what well, is we, real and what isn't. We really should. <laughs> we really should have. Thanks for showing up, though. Um, so, what what happened? How did it end? Uh, how did it end? Like any of these and things like do. Most of these things. End. Yeah, it with just a phone ended. call. Um, and actually, there was a phone call. There was a phone call. But to Deb's credit, see, I was actually out of the country, enjoying my vacation, and you got the call, and you did Wait, not so call you, me. Hold on. So yeah. you oh, turned in the well, script, he, and Harry, we're like, bye. Harry, yeah. went to, Harry went to Europe, yeah. and I think it was like he was super wound up before he left, and I was like, I just want to let him enjoy Europe. I'm not going to call him and tell him that uh, the show's not getting picked up. And then we got a call 
from MTV. Yeah, I think it was the next day. Saying, I, was, I slept on it overnight and I thought, I'm not gonna ruin his vacation. Which is something I've inherited from my mother. Like, I don't tell you bad news until two or three weeks after it happened and the body is in the ground. Um, this is true, uh, sadly. Um, and the next day we got a call from MTV saying, we're gonna shoot Mary and Jane. And I was like, oh, I can call yeah. it that then. It's all, and I was it's like, all good news. Guess what? We're getting a show made. Oh, they're not making the other one. Did they tell you why they weren't making it? No. No. No, they don't. Yeah. I mean, at that they point. The other thing was we got a call kind of at the same time about the Lady A show that wasn't going. And we, Harry got all effusive with them on the phone. I was like, you know what? It just was a great experience. And we had so much fun. And It was great and to do an hour. We're used to doing half hours. But the chance to do an hour and really explore that time was great. Hung up the phone and realized, those were the half hour executives. <laughs> We've not made a show at NBC yeah. since. Yeah. Maybe, maybe they didn't have to have a reason. <laughs> they're all gone anyway now. Yeah. That's a good thing. Like, is if you piss someone off, they're usually gone the next season. But this, so this was a pretty big undertaking. Uh, would you guys attempt a, a musical show like this again? Yeah. <laughs> we, did a, we did a musical, uh, Mary and Jane. Like, it's oh, in our, you were musical theater people, so yeah. it's always going to surface in some way. Josie was a musical, yeah. and um, rather more. There's a, there's a musical and can't hardly wait. There's always going to be music and whatever yeah, we're doing. Yeah, you guys are very, the music plays yeah. a big role in, in all of your work. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so you guys, we did an episode of the Writers Panel podcast, which is a podcast that I host where I talk to television writers. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and you guys mentioned this, and then it was around the time that uh, Andrew had sent me the Frontman pilot, and then I hounded you for months and months and said, we have to do this pilot. So thank you for letting us do this pilot. Thank, thank you for you. doing it. I mean, it's really great to see it in front of a couple hundred people, right? which is the audience that NBC would have gotten for it anyway. So, <laughs> Harry Elfon, Deb Kaplan, everybody. Thank you, guys. Get out of here. What's Ben Affleck and or Drake up to? What show should I be watching right now? Should The Rock run for president? How about Oprah? What's a great French film about lady cannibals? Who's stronger, Luke Cage or Iron Fist? For answers to these questions and so much more, come on over to Pop Rocket, a pop culture roundtable discussion that always has a fun, diverse panel talking about the stuff we love. Catch us every Wednesday on MaximumFun.org or wherever you decide to get your podcast. I'm not going to judge. <laughs> this is Tuned, written by Deborah Kaplan and Harry Elfont. We begin interior Nate's apartment. It's a gorgeous minimalist high-rise with all the trappings of a man with too much disposable income. Sleeping on a king-size platform bed, we find Nate Sherman and his model girlfriend, Jenica. We hear David Bowie's changes playing loudly from somewhere. Nate's... Nate stirs and squints. The music is really loud. He swats a few times at the bedside clock. Jeez. What? The music. What music? Nate looks at the clock. It's just a manual clock, not a radio. And the music stops. He looks unnerved. Jenica nuzzles up to him. Nate peeks under the sheets. Oh my God. We were robbed last night. <laughs> Someone took all your clothes. Oh. <laughs> Don't move. I'm gonna have to sweep this entire body for fingerprints. He disappears beneath the sheets. Uh-oh. Commissioner wants to see me downtown. <laughs> and we cut to the kitchen later. State-of-the-art everything, and it is our guarantee that food has never been prepared in here, ever. The Today Show plays on a TV built into one of the cabinets. Nate enters, dressed for work. Okay. I ran into Mrs. Ridgway's daughter in the hallway. She said... They might have to move her mother into a nursing home. Oh, my God. We could get her apartment and build a kick-ass wine room. Yeah. <laughs> Knock wood. Yeah. Wait. Wait. What's the thing that you do when you want a thing to happen? You not... I don't know. Okay. Listen. I had Dennis over at my agent's call and get us a table at 11 Madison for Friday night. Mm, Friday night. What's Friday night? Okay. I know you're <laughs> kidding, Nate Sherman. My ring finger has been doing like extra crunches all month. Well, that must be exhausting. <laughs> How do you know I'm going to ask you at dinner, huh? Maybe I'm renting a Skywriter. Maybe I'm not even going to ask. You don't know me. She kisses him deeply and grabs his ass hard. Uh, oh, you do. You know, you know me so well. Happy almost anniversary. Jenica gathers her things and notices something on the TV. Oh, look, it's your parents. You want to watch? 
No. We hear from the TV. I'm here with Arlen and Dina Sherman celebrating their latest book in the beloved children's series. Nate clicks it off. We're in the building morning. Nate waits for the elevator. The doors open and he steps in. He presses the lobby and we hear elevator music, an instrumental version of You're So Vain. Hold the door, please. I'll get him, Mom. Oscar, you have to wait for me and your brother. Hold baby is crying. Nate does not like the sound of any of this. He repeatedly hits the closed door button. I'm sorry, it's, it's not working. The doors just start to shut when a seven-year-old boy, Oscar, sticks a dirty backpack between the doors. They reopen. Oscar! We reveal Penny holding way too much stuff and a crying 14-month-old. I did it! Whoa! The door usually stays open a lot longer. Yeah, baby, it does. We'll get the next one. Nate gives her a thumbs up. Penny rolls her eyes and guides Oscar away from the doors. Is that the guy you said was a b-hole? Shh, honey. Is that the same thing as an asshole? <laughs> and we go to the lobby. Nate hurries out of the elevator and through the lobby. He nods at the doorman on his way out. Hey, since when do we have elevator music? It's awful. What elevator music? We go to a crosstown street. Nate's in a taxi, <laughs> creeping along through heavy traffic. They're stuck in a huge intersection, gridlock in every direction. Cops are routing cars around construction. Nate gets a call. It's his boss, Bonnie. She is brusque. Do you have the CEO of Good People Organics coming in today? Yes, I do. That deal is so close I can taste it like one of their gluten-free cookies. <laughs> Except this tastes good. You're hilarious. Your career is riding on this merger, yet they're here and you're not. What? The meeting isn't until three. We get, we're in the Core Corp offices. Bonnie is looking into the reception area where we see Hal Hickok and his wife, Tina. They're new age hippies, like a husband and wife, Ben and Jerry. Yes, well, apparently they don't use Western time. They use something called an emotional clock, and they asked if you'd be here by half past joy. <laughs> I'm on my way. There's loud music being played on the radio. It sounds like a familiar bass line. Hey, uh, you know, can you turn the music down? I'm on the phone. Nate, if you don't enjoy being VP, I've got five resumes on my desk from people who kill for your job. The driver looks at Nate, not sure what he's talking about. The radio is off. Nate gets another call. Yeah, I'm coming. Hello? He clicks over, it's his mother. Hey, Nate, did you see us on the Today Show? Oh, you, you know your brother called us right away. Really? Yeah, maybe you should write a book about it. Nate's other line beeps. He clicks over. The music grows louder. Did you just hang up on me? No, I, I said I was on my way. I, I thought we were done. You need to get us uptown faster than this and turn the music down. I do the hanging up. She hangs up just as Nate's other line beeps. He clicks over and it's Jenica. Babe, I'm sending you a picture of Bradley Cooper. He has the haircut I need you to get for the engagement photo. Something catches Nate's eye. A group of businessmen in suits walking on the sidewalk. Suddenly, in perfect sync, they bust some fly 90s hip-hop moves right out of the Vanilla Ice video. Then they keep walking as if nothing happened. Nate just stares at them. What? The engagement photo for the New York Times? Yeah, we can't take it with that haircut you have now. He winces at the music, which seems to have grown louder. Dude, turn down the music! The driver turns to look at Nate. What music? Crunch, their cab slams into the stop car in front of them. Oh, no, no. Wait, Nate? Crunch, and the car behind them rear-ends the cab. Come on! The cab driver, furious, gets out to argue with the other drivers. The song is building. Don't get out! I need to get uptown! But he's out in the gridlock traffic in the center of Times Square. The angry drivers converge on each other to argue. The familiar music builds, and then the cab driver begins singing. Pushing down on me, pushing down on you, no man has for. Nate stares at the driver. He looks around to see if anyone else is as shocked, but all the people stuck in traffic or standing on the sidewalk are bobbing in rhythm to the music. Nate looks bewildered. The other driver joins in the song. People on the streets. Nate gets out of the car and looks around in amazement as all of Times Square now joins in the song. Pedestrians, tourists, the vendors, the repairmen, the mascots in their fuzzy costumes, all singing together. The 
He's stunned. The song builds, and a nearby female cop bursts into a gospel choir-worthy solo. Now when we cut back to the cop, she's no longer singing. She's staring at Nate furious because he's holding her hands and singing to her. Sir, sir, get your hands off me. Nate stops and looks around. It's back to reality. Nobody else is singing. They are all stuck in traffic. Car horns blaring and some of them turn to stare at the crazy man in a suit who was singing in the middle of the street. Sir, I'm gonna need you to remove your hands or I'll arrest you for assaulting an officer and disorderly conduct and public intoxication. No, no, I'm, I'm not drunk. I, uh, I, I, I just wanna thank you for the work you do serving the greatest city in the world, <laughs> am I right? He looks around at the crowd who are still staring at him like a lunatic. His phone chimes, it's a text from Bonnie. Where are you? What's going on? Nate stares down at those last words, then he looks back at all those faces staring at him, a panicked smile on his face. What is going on? He has no fucking idea. We go to our main title, Tuned. Under black, we hear knocking and buzzing. We're in an MRI room, and Nate emerges from the abyss of the MRI machine. Dr. Singh looks at the results of the MRI. Oh, it is a beautiful MRI. You can see the tumor very clearly. Nate looks terrified. Uh, it's non-lethal, non-malignant, just a, just a benign growth, but it seems to have grown near the ventropolitum. Now, that is an area thought to be associated with the subconscious, which could explain the nature and severity of the hallucinations. It's awful. Okay, these things just keep showing up for no reason, like new Spider-Man movies. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, well, well, I am afraid that there is no rhyme or reason for why or when hallucinations occur, though some studies suggest that stress can be a trigger. But you can remove it, right? The, the tumor? I mean, you're a brain surgeon. They said you're the best. Remove it? Oh, no, no, no. So close to the central cortex? No, no, no. The risk to your life would be significant. Okay, so you're really just the best at delivering depressing news. Nate, listen to me. When I say significant, I mean less than a 50% chance of survival. Now, I would suggest that you learn to live with this. I mean, music hardly seems like the worst thing to be stuck with. There are stories of monks who sing Vedic hymns for years. It's supposed to be very calming. Yeah, are those the same monks who set themselves on fire? Because I am, like, that close. You go to the waiting room. The doctor leads Nate out. Well, listen, Nate. Why go digging around in the brain if you don't have to? I always say that. If you leave it alone, you can lead a long, healthy normal life. And then we hear a beat. And suddenly everyone in the waiting room behind the doctor starts dancing and singing. Um, sharpen your knife, Doc. This thing's coming out. <clears throat> End of Act One. <laughs> Act Two, we're at Core Corp. On the walls are posters and ads for the various brands that are owned by this global conglomerate. Dozens of employees are preparing for the Good People Organics presentation. Nate strides through the office, trying to pretend like everything's fine. He walks into his office, a big window overlooking the city. He's literally on top of the world. He exhales, everything's gonna be okay. And then he hears it, singing. Wow, wow, wow. Nate spins around, but there's nobody there. Not again. It seems to be coming from the couch in his office. He steps closer and the singing grows louder. Nate grows more concerned. Then suddenly a woman, Olive, pops on up from behind the couch singing. You make my dreams come true. Ooh, 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 ooh. Ah! Oh, 
what the hell are you doing in my office? I'm your new tap, Olive. <laughs> Did you know that the space behind your couch is the perfect echo chamber? What? I'm a singer, aspiring. <laughs> the temping is temporary, obviously. Um, I do Broadway style standards, lounge cabaret, but I'm also a bit of an acoustic nerd, right? Always on the search for great natural reverb. Do you think I could record a demo back there? No. Fair enough. Okay, let me just lay down a few ground rules before we get going. I need to eat every two hours because I'm hypoglycemic. I need LeVar Burton's birthday off, no questions asked. And because it always becomes a problem wherever I work, if you're expecting some slow burn, will they or won't they office romance, it's not gonna happen, okay? <laughs> this is a no shipping zone. You're just not my type. <laughs> I like a little more man on my man, <laughs> if you know what I mean. And uh, that's it. Bonnie! Nate finds Bonnie near the bullpen area. I need a new assistant. We got rid of the assistants. Management decided it was cheaper to pay temps. No benefits. Your idea, actually. Well, I need a new temp. Uh, this one's nuts. She's singing. I, I can't deal with that right now. Because if she seems crazy, that's a direct reflection on me, and I am not crazy. <laughs> Obviously. You know what's crazy? You're whining about a temp when I haven't even seen your presentation for the good people meeting tomorrow. Do you even care about keeping your job? Bonnie, I get it. Okay, I've closed way bigger deals than this. Now, let's talk about that jacket. Is it new? It looks great. He turns to Ken, a nearby coworker. Hey, Ken, doesn't she look great? Oh, yeah, like, uh, like Kate Upton. So I look like a whore, Ken? <laughs> Nate, let's not forget that you work for me. As much as that kills you with your smug eyebrows and your boys' club charm. Bonnie looks at a little display of Good People products. She grabs an energy bar and pokes Nate in the chest with it. I have to work twice as hard as you, you know? And let's not even talk about what I have to spend on clothes and blowouts and vampire facials. I don't get to get food poisoning or whatever it is you claim you had yesterday because I'm tired from being out all night at the club because I don't get to be out all night at the club. I'm here turning to dust as senior VP and checking my Tinder in the bathroom during lunch where no one can see. Well, whatever a vampire facial is, it is working. <laughs> and she gives him a poke, poke, poke with the energy bar. I want that presentation in an hour. She stalks away. That is one sturdy energy bar. <clears throat> Olive comes out of Nate's office holding a large mood stone orb and a corresponding, corresponding color chart. Look what good people sent you. It's an emotional clock. <laughs> I'm still figuring it out, but according to this chart, it's still yesterday. So I shouldn't be worried about missing my period. <laughs> Nate approaches a section of cubicles full of creative types, working on visual presentations and mock-up ads. He eyes them with unease. He finds Glenn, bright plaids, trendy sneakers, who sits behind a large computer monitor. All right, time's up, Glenn. I need the president. Glenn looks up quite red-eyed and sad. Oh, sorry. Sorry, Nate, it's not quite finished. I've been having some personal problems, and uh, it's, it's almost done. Glenn, this, okay, Glenn, this is a billion-dollar account. I need this done now. You're not going to tank it for me because your boyfriend's going back to his husband. You, you know? Everybody knows. You both work here. <laughs> there are cameras in the elevators. Oh, yeah, I... I want you to know, it wasn't just some tawdry office affair. We really were in love. God, I can't believe I'm telling you this. You're basically my boss. Yeah, who's asking you for your work? Jeez, this is a Fortune 500 company, not Camp Cryawatha, all right? Enough with the personal expression. Why can't everyone just act normal? As Nate walks away, a lady with her cubicle covered in pig paraphernalia <laughs> removes a single beanie pig from her desk, as if that makes a difference. 
we go to an Upper West Side apartment. An older condo lined with books and poster-sized framed book covers, all from a series of children's books in the Nate and Ned series. They're a lot like Goofus and Gallant. Some of the titles we see include Nate's Afraid of the Dark, Nate Plays with Matches, and Nate's Inappropriate Touches. Arlen and Dina sit at a table pre-signing copies of the newest title, Nate Can't Motivate, while Ned, sweaty, part of the sofa, watches a rerun of something with a really loud laugh track. Nate looks at the book jacket. So, big night on Friday, gonna propose to Jenica. <laughs> I know we once talked about me using Grandma's ring. Did you see we got a blurb from Lena Dunham? Hmm. I'm sure the preschoolers who read these books are big Lena Dunham fans. Well, she is a big fan of ours. She said she adored the Ned and Nate books growing up. She even has a tattoo, one of Daddy's illustrations. Uh, sweetie, Nate is just venting his angry and insecure feelings in a passive-aggressive manner, Dina. That's all. <laughs> you know, why would I be angry? You know, just because Ned is always the hero of the books and Nate's always the loser? You know, or that the newest book in the series is called Nate Can't Motivate, even though I'm not the one watching reruns on your sofa at three in the afternoon. Oh, Nate. We told you a million times. It was just too difficult to change the dynamic of the books. I mean, beginning readers need things to be simple. Nate was the bad child, and, and Ned was the good one. We, we could just switch it up when things sometimes change uh, in real life. I mean, you, you make such a big deal out of everything. Did we do Nate does make such a big deal out of everything? Yeah. Book 23. Book 23. Yeah, right. it was 23. <laughs> They're just book, Nate. They're, it's just a book, Nate. Who just every person who's ever read them and then met me. I'm a completely different person now. I've done something with my life. It'd be nice not to be literally drawn as the most pathetic person in the world. Nate holds up a page of the book, beautifully rendered illustration of a young Ned heroically accepting a trophy in a karate dojo. Young Nate is off to the side, hitting himself in the nuts with nunchucks. <laughs> Well, if doing something with your life means only caring about money. <laughs> yeah, that's a very, yeah, all right, look, anyway, I just came by to pick up the ring. You know, I have to get back to work, you know, at the job I have that pays for my apartment so that I don't live here with you because I'm so motivated. Right, yeah. You know, we have been talking about them, actually. Uh, Grandma's ring. Right. Yeah. Um, we're going to give it to Ned. You're... Giving Grandma's engagement ring to Ned? But you said I could give it to Jenica. Ned guffaws at something on the TV. Ha ha, it's funny. I've seen this one. <laughs> he hasn't had a date in five years. He lives here. That's what we thought. You said it yourself. You have an apartment. You have a job. You just have so much, and he has so little. <laughs> Unbelievable. I'm just always going to come last in this family, no matter what I do. You know, I just went to the doctor and got some pretty upsetting news. Ned just went to the doctor, too. You'll never believe it. He's lactose intolerant. You know how much he loves pizza. <laughs> and that's what I'm talking about. Oh, honey, stop it. How many times do we have to tell you we don't play favorites? I mean, definitely not in real life. We love you both equally. She sings to Ned. Did you ever know that you're my hero? Yeah, everything I would like to be. I can fly Tiffany's. Back in Nate's apartment building, he strides through the lobby and enters an elevator where he sees his neighbor Penny. She doesn't look thrilled to see him. Nate just looks at the closing doors. Penny glances at his Tiffany bag. You know, the storage room by the stairs is supposed to be for everyone on our floor. Not just, like, for your bikes and snowboards and crap. You know, there's not even a room for a stroller in there. 
Nate shrugs, not his problem. Penny exhales, and then the lights flicker, and the elevator shudders to a stop. But the lights come back on, and nothing else happens. Nate presses the door open button repeatedly. You know, we should really wait for somebody to... Then music. Abba's Take a Chance on Me. If you change your mind. Oh, great. More music. Next she'll start singing, then she'll start dancing. Great. Are you talking about me? Because I'm not planning on doing either of those things. She takes her phone out of her bag, which is blasting Abba. She shuts it off. And if you have such a massive problem with ABBA, then I can just put it on vibrate. Oh, that was your phone. Yeah, it was my phone. God, you were super unpleasant. Okay. Well, I have a brain tumor, so. <clears throat> oh, shit. Uh, geez, now I, f- I feel bad. Yeah, well, it makes me hallucinate music. Wow. Yeah. Like, so do you, like, see people singing, or you you just, like, hear the music? Well, first it was just music, but now it's everything. Full-blown Broadway shows. I am so sorry. (laughs) Sounds terrible. Yeah. You know, you're, you're actually the first person I've told. There aren't a lot of people in my life who'd understand. Well, I'm sorry about that, too. Anyway, I'm, I'm having surgery. I'm getting it removed. Brain surgery? Wow, that's, that's serious. Are you scared? Nate considers, and then we hear over the intercom. Hey, so looks like we've got a faulty breaker. Maintenance is already working on it. We'll have you out of there in uh, an hour or two tops. Hang tight. Oh, come on. In the elevator later, they both sit on the floor sharing a granola bar. Thank you. This is amazing. Moms always have food. I also have an extra diaper in case you have to. I'm good. Cool. Cool, 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 cool. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> so what you, would you buy at Tiffany's? Oh, uh, engagement ring. It's our two-year anniversary on Friday, so it's time. It's time. <laughs> hey, don't go crazy with the romance there, pal. You might break something. Nate doesn't see the problem. Listen, she's a good cat. She's very pretty. But I gotta say, I wouldn't be mad if she kept the screaming down when you guys are doing it, because these walls are, like, super thin. Nate looks embarrassed. In the elevator later, they still sit on the floor, closer together now. Wait. You're the real Nate from the Nate and Ned books? Now you know all my secrets. Oh my God, this is awesome. Oscar loves those books. We've read all of them. Nate wets his bed. Nate gets lice. We love Nate. (laughs) You mean Ned. No, Nate. Nobody likes Ned. He's such a know-it-all. Ned's a dick. Nate's the one that kids can relate to. I mean, he's a human. That's the point. You're being nice. You feel bad for me because I have a brain tumor. No, I don't. Trust me, okay? Nate makes my son feel like it's okay to make mistakes. Hell, he makes me feel better. Trust me. You don't wind up a divorced single mom with a baby without making some big, really big mistakes. Nate's our hero. (laughs) Nate just stares at her for a beat. What? Nothing, just most people say one thing, but really they're thinking something else. But you, you're a... Bitchy. (laughs) No, no. Penny looks surprised. She smiles at Nate, but before anything else is said, the elevator starts moving again. And our little personal hell is over. In the hallway, the elevator doors open and Nate and Penny finally get out. So, hey, good luck with your surgery. Seriously, and and tell your girlfriend already, okay? I'm sure she'll understand. Thanks. And hey, after your surgery, maybe move that bike. (laughs) I'm going to get two more bikes to celebrate. Okay, cool. (laughs) In Nate's bedroom that night, he sits on the edge of the bed. Jenica is still in makeup from whatever she shot that day, so one half of her face and hair is done up like a sexy demon. Her beautiful mouth is open in shock. Oh, my God. A tumor? It sounds a lot worse than it is. You have to trust me. I've already scheduled the surgery. They can get it out, and I'm going to be fine. Of course you are, Nate. You are my man. We're a team. We're going to beat this thing. Jay, you're amazing. You know that? You're like an angel. And I'm not just saying that because you're a Victoria's Secret angel. I can't 
believe I was worried about how you'd react. Are you kidding? I thought it was going to be something really bad. Like, they're making a movie of those awful books your parents write about how much of a loser you are. Ha 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 ha. Oh, well, uh, oh. <laughs> those are just books about a kid who makes mistakes, right? I mean, everybody makes a, a bad choice once in a while. Okay, anyway, it doesn't matter. You're going to be fine. We're going to be fine. She kisses him lovingly and walks off to the bathroom. As her back is turned, she sings... Scrub. Uh, what? She turns around. She didn't say anything. Huh? Nothing. Scrub. I don't want no scrub. Scrub is a guy who can get no love from me. Hanging out the passenger side of his best friend's ride. Trying to holler at me. I don't want no scrub. Nate bites his lip, trying not to sing along as he watches her dance around him and sing what she's really thinking. He actually begins to hum. Hey, Nate. <coughs> she's just standing there by the bathroom again. He gives her a thumbs up. She goes into the bathroom and shuts the door, but as it closes, he can hear... Scrub. End of act two. Act three, we're at Corcorp in the conference room. People file in, preparing for the big meeting. Nate goes over his notes. Olive approaches. Urgent business, sir. Please don't sing. I tell governor. And lose the accent. Uh. <laughs> All right, fine. Um, but I need you to focus. A few of, few of us are going to this outdoor movie slash sing-along in Bryant Park tomorrow night. Do you want me to get you a ticket? Because it might sell out. Okay, you need to get back to your desk right now. And order you a ticket? I'm not going. <laughs> I am not going to a sing-along, okay? I hate singing. No more singing. I want to pass a law like the town in Footloose. <laughs> you know, except with singing. See what's going on. You're tense. I get it. Big meeting, job on the line. If this doesn't go well, you're gone. You know, I'll just be moved to someone else's desk. I mean, I'll miss you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's gonna be hard to find a new boss. I share the kind of chemistry that we got. I mean, we're like Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder of the 23rd floor. So, I'll let you figure out who's who. She exits. Nate tries to refocus. We hear a whimper from the table. Nate turns to see Glenn fumbling with the cables attached to his laptop. I don't think I can do this. Okay, keep it together, Glenn. We don't have time for you to reenact a scene from The Notebook right now. Oh, Scott's gonna be in here. We haven't been in the same room since... He posted a picture of them last night. They were eating gazpacho. That was our cold soup. They couldn't have lobster bisque or, or, or borscht. Are you freaking kidding me? Do you have any idea what's going on in my life? My job is on the line here. Borscht? Gaspacho, I don't care. I don't care. I'll be ready. Gaspacho, you will. Later, Hal, Tina. <laughs> Later, Hal, Tina, and the rest of the good people fill out one side of the table. The Core Corp team sits on the other. A good people Core Corp, core corp merger would represent joint control of 30% of the organic food market. Next to Nate is Glenn, who sits awkwardly and breathes a little bit too loud. Because a few seats down is Scott, a silver fox, doing his best not to make eye contact with Glenn, who keeps looking plaintively in Scott's direction. Nate tries to focus on his notes, but he's getting distracted by Glenn's attempts to catch Scott's eye. Glenn exhales loudly. The noise attracts the attention of some others in the meeting, including Hal and Tina. Nate tries to wheel his chair away from Glenn, bumping into Bonnie. Ow. <clears throat> a quarter billion in cereals and granola alone. Nate rolls away from Bonnie. He glances back at Glenn, who now coughs loudly. <coughs> Scott finally turns and gives Glenn a look of withering disdain. 
Glenn shrinks. Nate takes this all in as Glenn looks at the floor and sings quietly at first. I want you to know that I'm happy for you. I wish nothing but the best for you both. Glenn stands, singing with more power. Nate struggles against the urge to sing along. Because the love that you gave was able to make it enough for you to be open wide. No. And every time you speak his name, then you know how you told me you'd hold me until you died, till you died. But you're still alive and I'm here to remind you of the mess you left when you went away. It's not fair to deny me of the cross I bear that you gave to me. You, you, you ought to know. Everybody in the room looks horrified since Nate is kneeling at the edge of the conference table singing his lungs out at Scott. And now Nate realizes everyone is stunned. Nate stays frozen for a moment and then gets down off the table. And that's how passionate we are about granola. <laughs> everyone ought to know about it. He sits back down. You told him? There are cameras in the elevators. The good people look disconcerted, to say the least. Nate, you are finished. End of act three. <laughs> act four, we're in Nate's apartment in the morning. He's in bed, looking like he didn't sleep much. Jenica wakes up next to him, a big smile on her face. Mmm, I feel so naked. Especially this part right she here. She holds up her ring finger. It's obscene just like how much skin is showing. It really is offensive. Uh, I will have to take care of that later tonight. She gets out of bed. <laughs> hey, why did you move your bike into the living room? Isn't that what the storage room is for? Nate's phone buzzes. He checks the message. It's from Bonnie. My office, first thing. In the hallway, Nate waits for the elevator. Down the hall, he spots Penny pushing her stroller into the storage room. Hey, thanks. Hi, you're welcome. At Core Corp, Nate enters his office, the weight of the world on his shoulders, and he hears... She was a fast machine! She, <laughs> she kept her not a clean! She was the best damn woman that I ever seen! Oh, hey, Rumpelstiltskin! How do you do it? Do what? Achieve the perfect balance of sexiness and approachability. <laughs> How do you go through life with music constantly in your head? Honestly, I don't know how I'd survive without music in my head. Music just makes life better. You know, it makes the happy moments more joyful and the sad moments bearable. It's magical when you think about it. No, even better than that, music is divine. You sure you don't want to come to the movie sing-along tonight? It'll cheer you up because you are super frowny. And if you don't mind me saying, you look like you stayed up all night drinking soy sauce. Well. <laughs> I'm proposing to my girlfriend tonight, so no, but first I'm off to get fired. <laughs> you are killing me with the funny. In the core corp hallway, Nate exhales and heads for Bonnie's office. Glenn stops him. Nate. Okay, seriously, no more. I don't care if Scott posted photos of him eating fondue with his husband. Or if you saw a sweat stain on a t-shirt that looked like him. What? No, I, I just want to thank you for yesterday. He hands Nate an enormous round tin. It, it's really good caramel corn. What? I, listen, what you did, it was... Extremely bizarre and random, but it was supportive. I, I know you like to pretend that you're just out for yourself, but it's really nice to know I have a friend at work. And if you want, a bunch of us are going to this movie sing-along tonight in the park. Oh, God, no. Uh, no, all right? Why don't you get it? I'm about to lose my job because of what happened yesterday, and it's all your fault. We are not friends. Oh, okay. He reaches to take the caramel corn back. No, you, you keep it. 
In Bonnie's office, Nate enters, surprised to see Hal and Tina seated across from her. Oh, doing it in front of the clients, huh? Public execution. Nate! Yeah, I got the door. I'll be honest, Nate. When Bonnie was talking about cost projections and market share... We don't really need to relive it, right? I mean, we, we were all there. It's just, uh, that's not what we're about. <sighs> Numbers. Mm. Tina and I built our company from our own kitchen. Mm-hmm. In our own house. Mm -hmm. In our own hearts. <laughs> you have a big heart, sir. Nate notices Bonnie plastering on a smile. I was saying to Bonnie before, I'm so thrilled. There are such emotionally evolved human beings working here. Yes, well, it's something we're always working on. <laughs> you know, emotional, evolved. Uh, Aleutian, you know, I mean, we, we do all the exercises. The way you just started singing like that. Yes, you know, it's like they say, music is magical, right? I mean, it's divine. <laughs> People say that. <laughs> anyway, I am so glad you got what I was going for. Tina stands and embraces Nate warmly. Oh. Hal bows towards Nate, hands together in gratitude. <laughs> I think we'll be in good hands with Corcor, especially with Nate in charge of things. In charge of... Yes. Yes! Hal and Tina give Nate another big group hug. Nate <laughs> catches Bonnie's eye. Her smile turns immediately to ice. Nate gives her a victorious grin. We're exterior 57th Street. Nate, thrilled, exits the Core Corp Tower to the crowded street. Holding the Tiffany's bag, he's got a little bounce in his step. Everything is working out, and in rhythm with his stride, we hear a groove. Everyone he passes on the street begins to sing along. At a certain point, we spot Jenica in the back of a town car. She sees Nate singing and dancing on his own in the middle of the sidewalk. Her eyes widen, but the car keeps going, and Nate keeps bopping along. I just want to celebrate. I just want to celebrate. We're at 11 Madison. Champagne is popped and poured. Jenica and Nate sit at an intimate table. I am on top of the world. Close the good people deal. Still have my job and about to propose to the most beautiful woman in the world. Jenica smiles. Nate pulls out the ring box. So do you have a date for your surgery then? Uh, funny you should mention that. I was just thinking on the way over here, you know, maybe these little hallucinations aren't the worst thing in the world. What? Yeah, I was just thinking maybe I can learn to live with them. Really? And then Nate hears it. Scrub. I mean, the surgery is really dangerous. Right, right, right. But the doctor said it would be okay. No. no. Scrub. Um, not exactly. I, I mean, he said there's a good chance I wouldn't survive the operation. Ah, okay. Three waitresses appear behind Jenica. No, I don't want no scrub. A scrub is a guy who can't get no love from me. Hanging out the passenger side of his best friend's ride, trying to holler at me. Oh, yeah, but still, though, it just—it would be worth it. What happened to we're a team? Yeah, that's when I thought you were going to get rid of them. Nate, I saw you on the street. You look like a crazy person. So you'd rather me die than embarrass you? No, of course not. Uh, I'm sorry. I should not have even have brought this up. That's not what tonight is about. Now, wasn't there something you wanted to ask me? She looks at him expectant. Nate looks back down at the ring box in his hands and back up at Jenica, sipping champagne. We cut to the city street. He walks alone. He's carrying the Tiffany's bag. The front of his shirt is soaking wet. His nose still drips from a face full of champagne. But for the first time, everything is quiet, eerily so. He rounds a corner and notices something across the street. Bryant Park. He sees the back of the huge outdoor movie screen lit up. In the park, Nate wanders through the crowd, sitting on blankets and lawn chairs, watching the outdoor movie. It's Mamma Mia. 
Nate eventually spots Glenn on a blanket with some co-workers and heads over. Nate, Nate! I, uh, had some popcorn, but I left it at the office. Glenn smiles and makes a spot for Nate on the blanket. Nate sits down. He looks up at the screen. I'm feeling a little guilty about what you said before. Came here to say you're sorry. I'm here. Let's not get carried away. <laughs> Just so you know, this isn't a date. I'm completely not attracted to you. That makes two of us. <laughs> Olive pops up from the blanket behind them. She's spilling out of a super tight satin ABBA-style jumpsuit. I thought that was you. I knew you secretly wanted to come. I feel underdressed. Olive gives him a playful nudge, and then Nate spots someone walking past. It's Penny. Hey, uh, Penny. Hi. This is the last place I thought I'd see you. You didn't seem like the biggest ABBA fan in the elevator. I'm here with some uh, work people, <laughs> but I'm really glad I ran into you. Thanks. Yeah, it's, uh, it's good to see you, too. So, do you want to sit with us? I don't know if you read Nate and Ned go to the movies, but there's a pretty good chance I'm going to eat too much candy and throw up on you. <laughs> yeah, thanks, but uh, I'm kind of on a date. Just then, Penny's good-looking, laid-back date walks over. I got you a beer. He hands her the cup and slips an arm comfortably around her waist. Right, of course. Yeah, well, I'll, uh, I'll see you around the building. Yeah, see you around the building. They go their separate ways. Nate peeks back at her for a moment to see Penny put her head on her date's shoulder. Nate makes his way back over to the blanket. around. Olive is already singing along, joining in with all her heart. Glenn sings along too. Olive nods for Nate to join in. Everyone seems so full of joy. This is real. Being surrounded by his odd new friends and what seems like half the city as they sing along together in true harmony. Nate looks ready to join in, but instead... Yeah, there's no fucking way. He hurries off, not ready for his happy ending just yet. Okay, I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, I said this after Frontman, but I really need to thank Kaylin West for making it sound so good. It also wouldn't have sounded so good without Phil Cronengold, Jordan Katz, and the rest of the fantastic band. As always, thanks to my co-host Ben Blacker. Man, Ben, casting this was hard. Thanks to Ted Leo. 
for our theme song, Courtney Hyde, for our logo, Noah Findling, for all his hard work. Please subscribe to this podcast. Come on. If you haven't done it, just subscribe on iTunes or Maximum Fun, wherever you get your podcasts. We really don't want you to miss an episode. And while you're there, leave us a rating. Um, maybe five stars is a suggestion. Also, you should really follow us on Twitter at Dead Pilots Pod and on Instagram and Facebook at Dead Pilots Society. You'll find out about all of our live shows that way. Don't forget, don't wait on this either. Go to largo-la.com, get your tickets for our November show. Until next time, I'm Andrew Reich. Thank you so much for listening.